But if it does, we'll call 911 and pray for you the whole time. Okay? But it's not the end yet. He said to give you an expected end. And when we read the story of some of the heroes of Scripture, we have to realize that the end might not happen in this lifetime. Didn't happen for Stephen, right? He physically had a very bad end. Acts chapter 6 or 7, I believe it was. Stephen preached the gospel and got his head kicked in. And he died. But he looked up in the heavens and he saw Jesus with his arms outstretched. Because he knew what the end was. He knew what the real end was that he was looking for. And all the other apostles who followed after Jesus, they knew what their end was, which is why they could suffer all kinds of horrible afflictions and beatings. It's because they knew that God's thoughts towards me are good. God's thoughts towards me are pure. But they're to give me an expected end. This is why we can't stop preaching about heaven. We cannot stop preaching about heaven. We cannot pretend like this is the best that it's going to be. I'm all for change in this world. I look at the news and I'm scared to death. Right? Anyone with me on that regard? I'm all for change in the world. But guess what? You can make all the change you want and this still isn't the best that's coming. There's a greater thing coming down the road. I don't want to get so caught up with this life that I forget that there's an end coming that God has promised us. So those are the first couple things that we need to keep in context. It's God's plan. It's to give you an expected end. The scripture says, he that shall endure till the end, the same shall be saved. What I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to put this verse back into context. If you are still got Jeremiah 29 opened up in your Bible, I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Jeremiah 29, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and, and see what it says. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders, that means those who are left, those who haven't died yet, the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. Here's the first clue that we've been taking Jeremiah 29, 11 out of context because it was written to a bunch of slaves. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. And their thoughts for good and not for evil. Really? Really? Because I'm pretty sure that I was just in my home in Babylon, in Jerusalem not too long ago. And then these couple of rough Babylonians came in and beat me up and carried me off into a strange land. And you know the thoughts that you have towards me that they're good. Okay, okay, well maybe, maybe we should keep reading in order to get uh, this into context. I want you to understand that Israel as a whole was being punished when they were sent to Babylon. But you also have to realize that not every single individual Israelite had sinned. And this is an important context, uh, a distinction that we need to make. How do I know this? Because Daniel and the three Hebrew boys went. And the Bible says they were very faithful, both while they were in Israel and while they were in Babylon. So there's a couple things that you have to look, keep in the context. One, just because your situation is bad 
doesn't mean it's your fault. But here's another thing. Just because it's your own sin, don't think it doesn't affect the people around you. That's the first thing we got to realize. Going on in verse 3. By the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, had sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. That's a really rough opening sentence in a letter to a bunch of slaves. Right? To all the slaves that I caused to be slaves. To all the captives that I made captive. To all of God's people who I put into bondage. Submitting to God's plan sometimes means being willing to be used in, of God when things happen that aren't your fault. You're right, three Hebrew boys. You didn't do a thing wrong. But the same faithfulness that you were called to before the exile is the same faithfulness you are still called to in the exile. And then the question you have to ask yourself is, can you live for God when bad things happen, even if they're not your fault? I've seen so many people get sideswept by the things of this life. Guess what? John 6, uh, I think it's 1633, says, in the world you will have tribulation. It's a promise. Right? If you've been around this Christianity thing more than about six months or so, you know that times get hard. Right? And sometimes things happen that aren't your fault. It's like this. I love the story of David because whenever David was doing good, life hit him upside the head when it wasn't his fault. And every time David was doing good, he messed it up and he sinned. Right? You can't get to a place where you're perfect. But David was an example that life happens. And all throughout the Bible, we find example of men and women of God that bad things happen that weren't their fault, but they were still called to faithfulness. Watch this, verse 5. Build ye houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your son and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminish. And seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. All right. Do you know what building houses and getting married and planting gardens, do you know what that kind of stuff is? That's normal life stuff. Don't have a house, you're going to be homeless. Right? Don't need a great amount of logic to see the gap there. Right? Don't have food, you're going to starve. Right? That's very basic. You learn that from the time you're about five minutes old. Okay? Don't have food, you're going to be hungry. Right? You get a little older... Find out if I don't get a spouse, I'm going to be lonely, right? This is normal life stuff. He says, hey, build houses, plant gardens, eat food, get married. What's he saying? He's saying don't let the things that you know you should be doing fall to the wayside. Don't let the day-to-day routine fall apart just because you want in the best of circumstances. I've seen so many people that one bad thing happens to them and say, well, I guess I'm backsliding. 
right? We've known that those people, right? I'm related to some of them, right? One bad thing happens to them. It's like stubbing your toe so you cut off your foot. That don't make no sense, right? You know, they say one of the signs of depression is you stop doing the normal daily stuff. You stop showering, right? It's real. I'm talking clinical depression here. One of the things they start looking for is have you stopped doing the daily routine, right? And the Israelites were stopping to do the daily routine. There's a reason why there's a whole psalm of them just sitting by the rivers of Babylon crying. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps on the willows. What'd they do? They sat down, they put down their instruments, and they cried. But what did God tell them? Through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, hey, don't let life fall apart just because your surroundings aren't in the best of circumstances. Keep taking the next step. One foot in front of the other. Do the things that you know to do. You say, well, I've got this problem. Wonderful. You can still read your Bible. Well, I don't understand why my family don't come to church, so I'm not going to pray anymore. What? They're not going to come to church. I'm not going to come either. Bless the Lord. We laugh, but we know people who think this way. Some of you have been people who think this way. Such for some of you, it's all right. There's repentance at the altar. Don't leave before repenting. All right. Here's the other thing in this passage that I just read. It says, seek the peace of the city where you are. Now, here's something that really struck me when I was reading this. Have you ever thought that God might have a ministry for you in your trial that would have never been possible if you had not gone through your trial? Maybe you're in Babylon because Babylon needs to hear about Jesus. Y'all remember when Ferguson happened back up in St. Louis? I lived about a mile and a half from Ferguson. Before all those riots happened, that was about a mile and a half from my house. I was working at the time at the hospital closest to Ferguson. All right? And I, I was a chaplain there, so I was doing spiritual care for everyone who was... Uh, who got hurt in the Ferguson riots. I, I was their chaplain, right? I was the person going and giving them spiritual care, right? And I remember having to drive past, and, and you know, sometimes you can get away with not having your badge. No, you, they better know who you are, and you had to drive past. There was National Guard parked out in front with a guy sitting on top with a big gun, you know? It was scary stuff, right? But I found a ministry there, that was not have been possible. And so many people who came to God out of that experience that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. So all these folks in Babylon, they're saying, oh, my surroundings are horrible. Maybe Babylon needs Jesus. Oh, everyone at my job is foul mouthed and they don't like it. Well, maybe your job needs Jesus. Oh, no one at my school knows why I dress like such a crazy person. Maybe your school needs Jesus. Maybe I'm in my situation because that's right where God needs me right now. Yes, it's a bad situation. Yes, it's a trial. And yes, it's not ideal. But maybe there's a ministry for you there in your situation. 
Verse 8, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. False prophets were coming and they were telling the Israelites that they were going to be delivered or, or this was just for a few minutes and then they were going to go home. You have to understand one of the distinctions between a false prophet and a true prophet is false prophets tell you what you want to hear and true prophets tell you what you need to hear. A lot of people, a lot of these big name television preachers have made a big business out of telling people what they want to hear. There's a secular profession that does the same thing. It's called fortune telling, right? Just telling people what they want to hear. And so they were saying, oh, you know, it's just don't worry about it. You know, this is just going to come out. But you have to understand that if you're in an exile right now, if you're in, if you're in a trial, don't forget that sometimes your trial is necessary. One of the last times I was here, I preached about Noah. I don't know how many people remember that, but sometimes you need to spend 100 years building an ark without seeing a single convert before you get saved from the flood. But if you don't wake up every day and build an ark, you're not going to be ready when the flood comes. If you don't wake up every day and be faithful, you're not going to be ready when God says, hey, the time has come. Sometimes you need to be put in prison before the jailer gets saved. I don't know, maybe you're thrown in prison because the jailer needs to hear about Jesus. Sometimes you need to submit to a cross and be buried before you see your resurrection. I want to give an illustration tonight because this is the context that Jeremiah 29, 11 has been put into. I want to spend these last few minutes doing an illustration. Brother Eli, come and help me out here. Here, just grab that one over there. And then I want you to grab my tape. And I just want you to make a square using this. You know, there's an interesting part of our culture and our society that says you can be whatever you want to be. I'm sorry if you believe that, but it's a lie. Right? Because my wife is five feet tall. And she'll never dunk a basketball. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen, right? Statistically, not everyone can be president, right? There's only been 45 up to this point. How many people are in this room? More than 45. You're not going to be president. I'm sorry. No, do it. Attach it to the thing. Sorry, I'm going to make him work. He's my armor bearer, so I'm going to make him work. Attach it to the thing. To this actual box that you have to get in and out of. I want it to be inconvenient. Right? It's just, it's a lie of our society that says you can do whatever you need to be. Because you can be whatever you want to be. Because think of all the choices and all the things that happened up to this point. That decisions you didn't make. But uh, they've affected your life in so many ways. How many chose where they were born? No, I wasn't, I didn't choose to be born in Fairbanks, Alaska. That's where I was born. It's cold in Fairbanks, okay? It's also dark and light depending on time of the year, right? It's a weird place. I didn't choose it, 
right? Then my family moved to Maine. Maine is also cold. I didn't choose that. Bunch of you little Floridians, this is your nightmare right here. You're like, oh, my Lord, don't call me to Siberia, Jesus, right? I didn't have that choice. I didn't choose to be born male, but I am. I didn't choose to be born white, but I am. I didn't make any of those choices, but here I am. I didn't choose my parents. I didn't choose my siblings. I was the last one of five. I couldn't. All right, get in the box. <laughs> I didn't make those choices, right? But then I made some choices, and then I got old enough, and I could start making some choices, and I thought I was big stuff, right? Woo, I get to choose, you know, which juice box I want for lunch. Woo, <laughs> right? Start making some small decisions, and then life gets older, and you have to start making bigger decisions for yourself, like, like you know, where am I going to go to college, and who am I going to marry, and all these kinds of things. And you realize that every time you make one yes choice, there's a million other no's that you just eliminated from the possibility, right? How many people are on this earth? Seven billion, right? I married her. Seven billion people I can't marry. She's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> right? You make decisions. Lots of possibilities go out of the way. We're saying, okay, we're going to go over to Vanuatu. We made that choice. Guess what? That means we can't get a house right now because we can't afford it. And it's sit empty. Makes no sense. Right? We said yes. That meant saying no to some things. I want to show you this illustration. Face the door, Eli. Eli is helping me out tonight. I, I want to show you an example. Uh, you, know, you ever heard the phrase, get out of your box? All right, today I'm going to teach you how to stay in your box, right? Because I don't really believe in getting outside the box, right? Now, I understand the context in which we say that, you know, get out of your comfort zone, and I believe you need to happen. So next time, you know, the preacher gets up and Brother Kyle on Sunday says, get out of your box, don't say, well, the evangelist came and told me to stay in my box. <laughs> no, keep this in context, okay? Keep this in the context of the illustration. Watch this. This is, this is Eli's box right now. Thank you, Eli, for everything that you're doing, for helping me out. This is his box right now, all right? And this is his past over here behind him. He can't see it. This is all the stuff that he can't change, right? Every decision that he's made up to this point that's got him in this box, embarrassed in front of all you folk, Right? Every decision that's got him to this point, he can't change that anymore. Right? That's his past. Where he was born, who his family is, what school they decided to stick him in. He didn't make any of those choices. That's his past. It's done. You can't change it. Right? Here's to the sides of him. That's all the other things about himself that he can't change. Right? what ethnicity is, what gender he is. He can't change any of that, right? He can't change his looks. Better looking than me, praise the Lord, right? Can't change his looks. Can't change his sense of style. He can't change a lot of things, right? And then there's his future, and this is all the decisions he hasn't made yet. And this is wide open over here, right? It's wide open. You can make all kinds of decisions. He can say, forget this. I don't want to be an armor bearer anymore, right? He's going to stick me up there and put me in a box, right? Here's the problem. 
A lot of people, I'm going to get in the box with you. A lot of people spend their whole life facing this way. There's a lot of things that happened to you, good and bad, in your past. Every single one of you has secrets in this room, has bad things that have happened to you, maybe by close family members, right? Maybe by teachers, right? Maybe by other people that you trusted. Maybe you're just mad about your life circumstances, right? Because sometimes life is just not fair. It's not fair, right? And you can be spend your whole time looking at your past saying, man, I could have done that differently, right? Because in your past, there's the stuff that, uh, that you couldn't control, and then there's the stuff that you could control, right? And so you say, man, I just made my situation worse there, didn't I? And they spend their whole life looking at their past just like this. And then they, spend, they go through life walking, looking at their past. And then there's people who spend their whole life off to the side looking at other people. This is why I had them face this way so I could look at you all. Be like, man, some fancy dressers out there. Y'all got some nice clothes. Then there's Aaron. I don't know what he's doing, but thank God I'm not like that publican praying in the corner. Bless the Lord. Spend our time looking at other people, right? We spend our time looking at what other people have. Man, I wish I had their job. I wish I had their car. I wish I had their parents. I wish I had their circumstances. I wish I had all this other stuff. I wish, I wish, I wish. Looking at other people, looking off to the side, other things that you couldn't control. And then there's people who do this. Stay inside the box, remember, right? I do this a lot. Jennifer can tell you this. I do this a lot, right? We'll be sitting, I'll be down the car, and I'll be just be like, what kind of car do you want to have one day? She's like, we are not getting a car anytime soon. I know, but like in the future, you know, like what kind of car do you want? You know, I want a, I want a Mustang. She says they're horrible. I don't want a Mustang. You know, crazy things like that. And that's a silly example. But sometimes we look way up in the future, you know, talking about God's plan. He has an expected end, right? He has an expected end. So we're like, okay, where, where's God calling to me down the road? Where, where's the next step that he's bringing me? And we're looking so far down the road. You know, in Maine, we have deer. If you look too far down the road, you might miss the deer that's about to jump in front of your car. You got to keep your eyes right in front of you, not way down the road. You need to keep them right in front of you in case that deer jumps out, right? But we spend all of our time looking down the road, and then we're not staying in our box. Then we're not doing the things that God's called us to do right now. Don't forget that if Noah hadn't woke up every day and built an ark, an ark wouldn't have been there to save his family a hundred years later. Let me tell you something. Sometimes faith requires waiting, but faith never requires inaction. There are things for you to do right now in this church. When Brother Sapp stands up and says, hey, we need people to do X, Y, Z, he's not just talking because he likes to hear the sound of his voice, right? I'll get personal, right? What ministries are there in this church? I know there's areas of need, 
Know how I know? Because there's humans in this room, and there are humans with need. And there are humans all around this place, and humans who go to this school, and humans who surround our communities, and there's needs. And some people will say, well, I'm called to be a missionary overseas. Well, bless the Lord. If that don't happen for five to ten years, you're going to sit twiddling your thumbs until it do? God's called me to be a preacher. Good. Get up there and be an armor bearer first. Well, God's called me to pastor. Well, good. Go teach a Bible study. Don't look so far down the road that you miss the box that God has placed you in right now. Don't spend all your time looking outside the box. Say, God, what is your plan for me right now? I've been waiting for six months to get back overseas. Six months. We can't wait. We spent four or five months up in the northeast when all those nor'easters hit. It was miserable. We said we want to go back to Vanuatu because it's cold here. But guess what? If we hadn't have spent that time in Jersey traveling around, we were in Jersey and Delaware. We were in New York, right? We also went up to Maine and New Brunswick just because it wasn't cold enough in Jersey, right? Traveled around a little bit. We hadn't done that raising that money. Guess what? We wouldn't be going back overseas here in a month. Because there's things you have to do right now in order to get to the place that God has called you to. There's a ministry for you right now. There's a plan for you right now. Yes, I understand that your past is not ideal. Yes, I understand that bad things happen. Some of it's your fault. Some of it's not your fault. And now you're in Babylon and things look a little rough. Yes, I understand that. And yes, I know you've heard the prophecies from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and, some, and Joel and others about, about a future Messiah who's coming, right? You've heard, those, you've heard those coming down the road, and now you're looking way down the road. Where's the Messiah coming? And I know you're looking at the people who aren't in the exile right now, and you're saying, oh, I wish I could be them. But did you ever stop and think, maybe you're in your box right now for a reason. Let's all stand right now. Could you clean all this up? Let's all stand right now. Let's every, every, every head bowed and every eye closed. The musicians can come back if they want. I want us to pray right now. Because I know for a fact that God has a calling for every single person in this room. I know that God has a ministry for every single person in this room. I know there are things that God is calling you into. I know there's callings. But my question to you right now is will you stay in the box that God has put you in? Can you be faithful right now in less than ideal situations? Can you be faithful right now even when you can't understand what's going on? Can you be faithful even though God's given you promises? That he's going to bring you to this place. Or he's going to save your family. Or he's going to do this situation. And I'm looking down the road. And I can't see it right now. I can't see that far down the road. But being faithful. Is not knowing what's coming a year from now. But saying what do I have to do today. What do I have to do today. What do I have to do 
right now. God, humble me, Lord. Show me how to be faithful in the now. Show me how to be faithful in the box that you have placed me in. Show me how to be faithful in this moment, oh God. Oh, I want us all to just spend some time here to pray. If you want to come down to the front, if you want to pray where you're at right now, I just want us to take a couple minutes here at the end. God, where are you calling me? What are you calling me to do? What needs are there in this church? Oh, God, that you can place me in. God, what needs, God, can I serve in? What's the next step you have for me, oh, God? Maybe you gave me a call down the road. Maybe there's a future that you promised me. But what am I going to do now, oh, God? How do I prepare for that now, oh, God? How do I be faithful now, oh, God? I know I'm in Babylon. God, show me how to witness even in Babylon. Show me how to pray even in Babylon. Show me how to connect with you even in Babylon. Oh, Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus' name. God, I don't want to be guilty of staring at my past that I can't see what you want to do right now with me, oh God. I don't want to be guilty of staring at the bad stuff that happened to me that I can't see where you're leading me, oh God. I don't want to be too busy looking at other people and the talents you gave other people. God, where are you calling me right now? What are you calling me into right now? Oh, in the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for every calling in this place. I thank you for every burden. I thank you for every ministry, oh God. God, for those that need to be faithful and continue to be faithful, I'm praying that you undergird them, Lord. You give them strength, Lord, to take that next step every day, even when the path seems weary and weak. God, give them that strength. For those that need to take the next step, I pray courage right now. Take the next step. Take the next step. You say it's just a small step. It's all right. You take that small step. God, where are you leading me next? Where are you guiding me next? God, for those who are shackled by their past, things they couldn't control, mistakes that they made, God, I pray no matter what their past looks like, Lord, don't let it be a shackle and a chain, Lord. God, you are a God who can fix that past, oh God. You are a God who forgives. You are a God who provides. God, you are a God who is bigger than their past. You are a God who is more faithful than their history. Oh, in the name of Jesus. 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 This has to be the type of sermon that you take with you. Because tomorrow you're going to be called to be faithful again. And the next day you're going to be called to be faithful again. He said it, we only meet twice a week. 
There's a whole lot of other times that God's still calling us to be faithful, to take the next step, day in, day out. God, what are you calling me to? What do you need from me right now? One more time, I will. Let's just lift up our hands and talk to him right now. One more time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your calling, Lord. I thank you for speaking to us on a Wednesday night. I thank you, God, for leading us and guiding us and directing us on a Wednesday night, oh God. I know that you're leading me, God. And, Lord, you've been faithful to me. Lord, I want to be faithful to what you have for me. I want to be faithful for what you have for me. Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My, my, my.